0: Good morning. The parable of the unjust steward. A real Lenten parable, the one that causes the most suffering among biblical interpreters. Why is that? Because of this phrase. The master praised the unjust steward. What? Is it time to run scared to the commentaries or Google or just stay a while and let the text explain itself? One of the reasons I like the university is it is the place to test all the possibilities and pursue the most plausible. C.S. Lewis uh, speaks to our text today, too. He says, I believe that many who find that nothing happens when they sit down or kneel down to a book of devotion would find that the heart sings unbidden while they're working their way through a tough bit of theology with a pipe in their teeth and a pencil in their hand, an unlit pipe on our campus. (laughs) So here comes the text. And he said also to the disciples, A certain man was rich, who had a steward, and this one was accused to him as wasting the things belonging to him. And having summoned him, he said to him, What is this I hear concerning you? Give the account of your stewardship, for you are not able any longer to steward. So the steward said to himself, What will I do, because my master is taking away the stewardship from me? To dig, I am not able. To beg, I am ashamed. I know what I will do, in order that when I am dismissed from the stewardship, they will receive me into their houses." And calling to himself each one of the owing debts to his own master people, he said to the first, How much are you in debt to my master? But he said, A hundred measures of oil. But he said to him, Take your bill, and having set, quickly write fifty. Then to another he said, But you, how much are you debting? But he said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. And the master really proclaimed the wonderful thing about the unjust steward because he acted wisely. Because the sons of this age are more wise than the sons of light in their own generation. And I myself say to you, make for yourselves friends from unjust wealth in order that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal Tabernacles. The one honest about dependence in little is also honest about dependence in much. And the one unjust in a little also, in much, is unjust. Therefore, if with unjust wealth you are not honest about dependence, who will submit to honesty about dependence the true riches with you? And if with the things of another you are not honest about dependence, who will give you the things of your own? No sub-steward is able to give service to two masters, for the one he will sacrifice nothing for, and the other he will sacrifice everything for, or one he will really have, and the other he will despise. You are not able to serve God and wealth. So, parables, are they clear or confusing? Yes. Consider God's purpose in parables. Nature, first of all, as universal, ever present witness to all. That was the point of making it. The desperate can't avoid and don't want to avoid the point of parables. The rich go empty away. All parables. We're not created equal. The kingdom of heaven is like a tree that birds nest in. Got it. The unjust steward embezzling is commendable. huh? Learn Greek. (laughs) Parables expose the listener, not just the lesson. Our sense of the problem exposes the nature of our stewardship. First, how to treat material things. Second, what are true riches? Third, as with any parable, the fun path to truth has to do with correctly identifying the parallels. Spending time in a room alone with Jesus is a lot of fun. It's a puzzle often, and puzzles are fun. Puzzles are good exercise. Parabolic possibilities. Okay, one. Parable of the unjust steward, God has a dark side. Uh, no. Two. On a simple practical level, God promotes an essential balance between respect for what belongs to another and a healthy contempt for money. I think we want to let that one sink in a minute. A healthy respect for what belongs to another, all things and God, and a healthy contempt. For money. On a deeper level, what is the Christian life about most fundamentally and profoundly? So we'll do two and then three again. The text at the surface. The text says no steward can serve two masters. Paul provides this warning again in Romans. They worshiped and served creation rather than creator. You sort of get the relationship between fundamental and non-fundamental, backwards. Make for yourselves friends of unjust wealth, the the, the, uh, master says. So it is true, nothing is my own, and money must not own me, right? It is kind of ridiculous the way we use the possessive pronoun. My life, my heart, my time, my car, my house, my bank account, my retirement, my future, what a bunch of baloney. It's not mine anything. It is mine in respect to that. It has to do with me. But me came from God, and everything in my life comes from God. So we are stewards, not owners. And if you want to convince yourself of that, visit the cemetery. It was a great practice once upon a time that churches had cemeteries right outside. Right? Every time you go to worship, sort of have a reminder of, yeah, that's a, that's a problem on that side of the equation, solution inside. There's a lie out there that says, I own my things. But the truth is, money owns me, if that's the case. And then there's the idea of a gift. As stewards, we enjoy the providence of the master, the work of a steward, and the joy of providing. What could be more fun than being wealthy, being the steward of someone else's wealth. Why? Because you get all of the access to it with none of the headaches about it. What could be better than being Santa Claus? Being an elf. Why? Because Santa has to read all those darn letters every year and make the list. As an elf, I just get to make the stuff and have fun providing like that. Okay, so on a surface level, don't let money get the best of you. Don't let it master you. Use it. Live in contempt of it, because there's a healthy reality, truth about that. But now, a little underneath the surface, there's another aspect to the parable it has to do with who's the king or identifying the, the players in the parable. What it tells us about ourselves is the way we're used to thinking The embezzling sounds problematic, right? Because we figure the master is the CEO of a monetary institution, right? The steward's the loan officer. The goods, of course, are almighty dollar. The debt is money owed. The accusation. Steward is being unfaithful with the goods. The money's not being collected. Notice the debt's outstanding. Threats are not being made. Legs are not being broken And so the steward gets to it. And then the master commends the steward. Is he talking about honor among thieves? In other words, the CEO is a dirty, rotten, no-good Nick. And he cheats and steals, so when the steward cheats and steals, okay, I'll give you that much. You're kind of like me. I don't have time for a parable of the shark and the lawyer. Uh, Let's change directions, though. It's not a CEO. The goods are not the money. Let's try the Red Cross Disaster Relief CEO. So this person has sent you to a disaster area with, with truckloads of all the things that people need in this area. And he hears an accusation that you're being unfaithful. Okay? If the CEO comes to visit you at the disaster area to see if the accusations are true, and you say to him, Hey, boss, you'll never believe it. What? I still got all the stuff. What? Yeah, yeah. You know, all those semi loads of water and medicine and clothes and building materials, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. I got all of it still. Isn't that awesome? Because that means we don't have to do more fundraising. We don't have to go collect more things. The next time we have a disaster, we'll just move these trucks to that location. Would the master be happy with the steward? No. Why? Because you got it backwards. Unlike the CEO of money, the CEO of Red Crosses, the point is giving it away, not keeping it. So we come to our parable. Who's the king? The master, of course, is God. And here's the key. What is God's greatest good? It wouldn't be money. It wouldn't be wealth. It would be grace, wouldn't it? And there was the steward holding people in debt. How much do you owe? How much do you owe? How much do you owe? Would God be pleased with a steward who was wasting his goods, his greatest good? Grace. What are you doing with it? Nothing. Holding people in their debt. That's the accusation. So when the steward in the parable begins to forgive debts, that's when the master's right back says, finally, Okay. Now, he didn't forgive the debts, absolutely, okay? nor do we. Even though we know we should, even though we'd like to, by way of our soul, we still don't do it, we struggle with that. But at least it's moving here, moving in the right direction. What did Jesus teach us to pray in the fifth petition? Forgive us our, and I checked, same word, same root, debts, as we forgive our debtors. Matthew 18, Thirty-two, the parable of the unforgiving servant. That's the point. And as I notice, fifty-seven years of Christianity, thirty-seven years of paying attention. We tend to treat the bus- not the business, huh? The the, the 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 what? The mission of forgiveness as secondary, so much of the time, isn't it? As a father, as a husband. Professor, citizen, we think about the things we need to get do to get done in those in, in all of those different endeavors. And then sometimes we have to go through this forgiveness thing. Uh, no, that's backwards. Our life in this world is the place where you get to practice extending grace, even as it's been extended. To you, So the parable is trying to turn things right side up again. We don't have Lutheran schools because it's a school where when you get in trouble, you can also get forgiveness. We have Lutheran schools because that's the pool we swim in, a pool called grace. And in that pool, we take account of and make provisions for and extend our lives in the interest of extending grace, which gives us a context for seeing what we can do Otherwise, as stewards of the time and the lives and the ability that God gives us. Micah 6, 6-8, is God pleased with sacrifices, a thousand bulls? Is that what he really wants? No. The Lord has shown you what he requires of you. To do justice, love, mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And one more text that relates, but that's for next Monday. So we pray. If you'd pray with me, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for having forgiven all our debts. Thank you for having called us to be stewards in your house. Keep us mindful that your greatest good is the good our lives depend on, your loving kindness. Thank you for your word and grace that keeps turning our lives right side up. Bless us to be faithful stewards always seeking to relieve others of their debts by your wisdom, grace, and spirit, according to your word and will. Amen.